You're listening to Garbage Into Gold, a Sixers podcast hosted by Brandon Apter and Jesse Larch. Part of Philadelphia Sports Nation, visit online at phlsportsnation.com. Garbage into gold. All right, everybody, what's going on? Welcome into another episode of Garbage Into Gold, the post-trade deadline Garbage Into Gold. And luckily, the Sixers made some moves, so we had a reason to come on here and and do a live broadcast. Uh, We do appreciate everybody joining us on Twitter and Periscope and appreciate everybody listening on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, wherever you listen to us on uh, your favorite podcast platform. So uh, my name is Brandon Apter, joined by my co-host Jesse Larch. And Jesse, just a couple hours now after the trade deadline has ended, uh, how are you feeling? Uh, you know, there were a lot of big de- big deals happening overall. Uh, in addition to the Sixers, were you surprised at how many moves there were, or were you kind of underwhelmed at at the whole thing? I was kind of surprised by. Like, there were a lot of minor moves that felt like right? the teams that made moves were teams that didn't necessarily expect to make a move. Like, you know, Drummond to Cleveland makes very little sense. You know, there's a lot of moves like that where I'm just kind of like, they, I feel like they're inconsequential, not only right now, but in the long run, too. Yeah. Um, you know, the contenders didn't really do a whole lot to boost themselves. So, you know, it's it feels like the buyout market's going to be competitive. You know, I'm not really sure who's going to be on the buyout market. I think it's going to be a thin class as well. But, you know, as far as the Sixers go, we're about to talk about them a little bit. They did some good things. I mean, obviously Miami gave us some trouble as well with the moves they made. So, mm-hmm. you know, there's a little bit of added storylines to look at for the final stretch of the season, but you know, overall, nothing too overwhelming, I think, at the deadline this year. Yeah, so why don't we just uh, go ahead and get right into it. We'll start with the Sixers moves and go on to uh, some of the Eastern Conference moves that affect the Sixers, uh, some of the other big moves from around the league, and uh, buyout market potential for the Sixers as we move forward. Uh, so to kick things off, uh, the Sixers went and acquired Alec Burks and Glenn Robinson the third for three second round picks while we were all sleeping. At least I was sleeping. Uh, the Sixers sent Golden State a 2020 second round pick they owned via Dallas, a 2021 second rounder via Denver, and a 2022 second rounder via the Toronto Raptors. Uh, three seconds, not a bad deal, especially since they were able to hold on to the Hawks and Knicks seconds for the 2020 draft so those could you know essentially still be moved prior to draft night uh, or on draft night Uh, and uh, Keith Pompey and other Sixers beat reporters are reporting that both guys uh, Burks and Robinson are expected to join the team at the earliest on Friday when the Sixers have the second game of a back-to-back against the Memphis Grizzlies so uh, Alec Burke has been a name that's been talked about amongst Sixers fans for quite some time now and uh, you know it was getting to the point where I almost believed that they were going to just stand pat and try to fix things through rotations so I'll start with you on this one and then I'll give my reaction but was kind of your immediate thoughts on, on the Sixers acquiring Burks and Robinson for a trio of seconds. 
I kind of had a feeling that if they did make a move, it would be for a player at the level of Alec Burks. Um, I'm not upset they got him. I think I said on the last episode or a previous episode that, you know, combo guard was really something this team should have had on their shopping list, and he fits that profile. I think getting Glenn Robinson in the deal as well was really big and really good work by Elton Former Brand. process sixer. Yeah, and his dad played for the team too. So, yeah. you know, the guy's kind of born to be here. But, you know, you know, obviously we'll get into the stats in a minute. He's a good shooter. Alec Burks is a good scorer. So I think you checked off some boxes with what this team really was looking for and what they needed to help boost them down the stretch. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't fix the problem. It's like... You know, it's nice to have them, but the problem with this team was not... I mean, the bench could have been better, but the main concern is still the fit of the starting five. So, you know, if they don't iron that out, this move really means nothing. Um, Even with that said, giving up three seconds for two guys that can play and have proven this year that they can be valuable contributors. And because we also know Elton Brand doesn't really value second-round picks, given what he did at last draft. I feel like it's been a while since this team has valued second-round picks. Really? Yeah. Well, with their draft hit record, uh, can you really blame them? Yeah. They don't really hit well, on the first round. But we still have Shake Milton. Shake Milton doing some stuff. Yeah, I just mean when they had, you know, Okafor and Noel and TLC, you know, yeah. they busted enough picks. They didn't really need to bust more with the second round. Very true. Um, but in that sense, you know, Alton Brand probably wouldn't have kept those picks anyway. Probably would have just traded them for future second rounders at this year's draft again, like he did this past year. Mm-hmm. So in that sense, I think it's a really good situation where they give up very little and get two guys that can help this team win now. Yeah, I, I'm I'm with you on most of that. I think again, leading into it, I wasn't really sure what to expect. You had the people out there that, you know, were reaching a little high, thinking that the Sixers might have a chance at. Uh, you know, Bogdanovich from Sacramento, even in Luke Kennard, heck, even even Derek Rose for, you know, a package of, of Mike Scott, Zaire Smith um, and and picks. And, and those just never really seemed realistic to me. So um, even even when the rumors started popping up about Burks potentially coming to Philadelphia last night before I went to sleep, um, you know, I was excited at the prospect, and there are still a lot of people that are kind of disappointed at the amount of moves that they made. Uh, but I think that they did really as much as they could with what they had, because I think we just came to the reality that uh, Mike Scott and Zaire Smith just don't have a whole lot of value around the league. And there's probably not a point of just spending those uh, high second round picks right now just to make what would more than likely be a, a marginal upgrade. Um but going a little bit more into this trade, Alec Burks, the guy that, again, has been on the Sixers' radar for quite some time now. Um, in, in his ninth season, he's averaging just over 16 points per game and about 29 minutes played. Uh, he started 18 of Golden State's 48 games, so he's very familiar with coming off the bench. That'll, that will more than likely be his role uh, on the Sixers. Um, he's hitting threes at a 37.5% mark. Uh, and over the last nine games, he's shooting 41.5% um, from beyond the arc. He's shooting nearly 90% from the line in just about five attempts per game. Uh, so at this point, it's it's really what's the best way to use him? Because we've seen the Sixers acquire players and try to put them in different positions, uh, You know, whether it be trying to turn Thibel into Robert Covington or trying to make Shake Milton into a mold of uh, a 
former Sixer, whatever, what have you. So we've seen them being able to, to put different players in different positions, but for this, it just seems like pretty easy. You plug Burks in uh, your rotation and you kind of let him do uh, what he does best. So uh, in your viewpoint, where does he get the most minutes and and who may suffer uh, in terms of, of minutes in general uh, with Burks now added to the rotation? My friend Tony from the Get the Tables podcast asks who's going to lose minutes for these guys. So Burks is probably going to play a little bit more uh, than Robinson. So who do you see Burke taking the minutes from and uh, how do you see the rotation kind of working out from here? Uh, I expect him and really I think Robinson will get on the floor too. I think we'll see Burks take minutes from Neto, which he should. Um, I'm not crazy about how will Neto. And I think Alec Burks really is going to give this team, like I said, you know, a couple minutes ago, like they need someone that can play on and off the ball, someone that can hit their shots, someone that can create shots. He's been doing that all year for Golden State. So I think in that sense, he's the right guy to bring on and almost as a six-man role. You know, Ben comes off, put the ball in his hands. Ben comes on, he can play off and do the catch-and-shoot thing. Mm-hmm. And um, you mentioned he's shooting 37.5 from three. He's shooting a little over 38% on catch-and-shoot threes this year. So, you know, that is something this team has missed. We've seen enough missed open looks that we've just gotten, like, sick to our stomachs about it. So you do that. You know, you get Alec Bergson who can hit them, and then Robinson hits them at just above a 40% clip. So you kind of get that element of the offense back that we've had in recent years that we've been missing this year. And I think that's probably going to be the biggest thing with this deal. Yeah, I think so too. And again, I mentioned it before, but I think it's just very important for the Sixers really just not to overcomplicate things because you're you're getting guys that have, have proven to, to do perimeter shooting well with Golden State albeit you know Golden State is not good at all this year so maybe their statistics are inflated a little bit and they more than likely won't play as much as they were playing in Golden State but I think you just got to find a way to just plug them in and let them do what they do best and I think Burks is a guy where if if he shoots well from the perimeter he's somebody now with James Ennis gone and we'll get to that that they could potentially hold on to um, moving forward in the offseason now going to Glenn Robinson the third he's a guy who was hoping to stick in Golden State uh, and a story I forget who wrote it from the athletics suggested that this might be a little bit of a tough adjustment for him going back to a team that he was on during the process you know he felt like he had a, a good role in Golden State kind of did what they uh, what they do best, even with their best players hurt. Uh, Steve Kerr, very highly complimentary of both of these guys and how it was hard for them to even play against the Nets on um, on Wednesday night because both Robinson and Burks didn't play because of impending trade rumors. Uh, so Robinson has started all 48 games for the Warriors. He'll obviously be coming off the bench for the Sixers, averaging just under 13 points per game on 48.1 shooting overall and 40% from beyond the arc. Uh, over the last seven games alone, he's averaging over 17 points a game on 47.1 shooting from three and 60% from the floor overall. He's another guy that hits uh, free throws at a high mark as well, which will which will help the Sixers because they're a team that needs to continue to try to get to the line, especially if Simmons and Embiid are not. So I know I asked you this question 
for for Burks, but when when you see Robinson, what hole does he fill when it comes to the Sixers rotation now? I mean, I think he's going to be a floor spacer, a catch and shoot guy. You know, um, I I think there's a little more to his game than Korkmaz, but I still like I'm still worried about Brett's loyalty to certain players that we still might end up seeing Neto get some burns. I mean, I don't even think Korkmaz should be out of the rotation. But if I had to pick, I'd say Glenn Robinson's probably the better player. Yeah. So in that sense, you know, I would I would hope Robinson gets some minutes. You just went and traded for the guy. I don't think he's just a throw-in in the deal. I think he's someone that should get some minutes and should get a chance to stake his claim to his spot in the rotation. Yeah, I agree with you there. And I know I mentioned it earlier, and we'll talk about it next. Uh, you know, I think with these guys being acquired and, and James Ennis no longer in the mix. And he hadn't been in the mix for a while because he was shooting under 30% from beyond the arc in December before more or less getting in Brett Brown's doghouse on, um, in January and, and February, he had just not really gotten any playing time. So yeah, I, I agree with you. Hopefully Robinson's one of those guys where even though it might be tough to adjust to going back to, to Philadelphia or going to another team after you were comfortable and in Golden State, hopefully it's a scenario where he feels confident and, and can do what he did for the Warriors for for a playoff contending team this season. And and you just hope that both of them don't come to Philadelphia and forget how to shoot completely, because I feel like that's a trend that has uh, happened pretty often here, more often than any other team around the league. Yeah, I mean, it's really all of our sports. Our goalies forget how to play goalie. Our receivers forget how to catch. You yeah. know, it doesn't matter what sport. You know, the hitters forget how to hit. You know, that's just Philadelphia. For some reason, we have that kind of luck. Yeah. Um, and I think be- before we move on, I think it is worth worth mentioning. And uh, we have Jeffrey Cross here in the chat room saying that Cork Maz has to be the eighth or ninth man off the bench because he's too much of a liability on defense. I agree. But I think at this point with the Sixers kind of underperforming and and not playing as well, especially on the road, uh, it's one of those situations where Brett Brown's really going to have to just go with the hot hand. If Cork Maz is cold, then you go with somebody else. If he's hot, then you go with Korkmaz. I think it's going to be very uh, interesting to see how he adjusts to this new team, how he implements the new guys into the rotation, and how, again, like Thibel's minutes or Korkmaz's minutes uh, will suffer or benefit from from these guys being added. Now, now for me, it's, it's one of those things, we talked about it on the last episode just a couple of days ago, um, but do you think that there's any chance that Burks starts and Horford moves to the bench? or Thibel starts and Horford moves to the bench because, you know, we're, we're at a point in the season now, a couple games before the All-Star break, where what you're doing now isn't working. So at this point, you have to kind of try anything. And uh, at this point, I know we're both in favor of it, but do you think there's any chance of it actually happening? If things continue the way they have been the last couple of weeks, I think Brett's going to have no choice but to put Horford to the bench because... The noise is already getting loud. I mean, there's a lot of national pundits calling out Brett saying he should be out of a job and things like that for not making this roster work. And I think the, I mean, we know the fan base has been wanting him fired since he was running the process. So, you know, there's, there's going to be plenty of uh, heat on his seat coming up in these next few weeks if he doesn't turn things around. And he's going to have to do things like put Horford on the bench just to try to save his job. Yeah. 
and and you know it's it's one of those situations where even if it's not a hundred percent Brett Brown's fault, you know if if this season doesn't turn out the way that that we all hoped it to be, and it doesn't necessarily even have to be like the finals, um, he's going to be the guy that's going to get forced out because I, I don't foresee this soon into uh, a team that again the starting lineup hasn't played that many games together that many minutes together I don't see there being big front office changes so I feel like the next step in this whole process would be to remove Brown and then see if another coach can get this team to be able to mesh in in a different way than than it is now because it's certainly not meshing um so the Sixers made the trade with Golden State overnight, uh, but just before the deadline passed, the, they agreed to a trade with the Orlando Magic that left Sixers fans uh, kind of nervous for a while because the Athletics' Shams Charania, Charania um, reported that Ennis was waiving his no-trade clause to go to Orlando uh, and then deleted that tweet, and we didn't see anything until like 10 to 12 minutes after that when Woj finally tweeted that the Sixers traded Ennis to Orlando for a second-round pick. So, you know, they had three seconds going out in the deal with Golden State, and they get one back. It is the Lakers' second-round pick, I believe, in 2020 or 2021. Um so James Ennis, after being kind of a regular guy in the playoff rotation and a guy you re-sign, uh, he took less money to come here and compete for a title. And then with Thibel and Korkmaz playing better, and um, he just fell out of favor. Now there's a lot of people that believe that um, Mike Scott should have been the one to go, but I feel like... Um, even though they've both underperformed, I, I feel like Mike Scott is is more likely to to catch fire from beyond the arc. But you know, Ennis waves his no trade clause to go to Orlando, not a title contender, but a team that will um, you know almost certainly be in the playoffs as the seventh or the eighth seed. Uh, your thoughts on on Ennis going over Mike Scott and and really anybody else on the roster? Yeah, I mean, you know, everything you said is pretty much the situation where, you know, he wasn't getting run. You know, he makes very little. Um, I understand him wanting to leave. He was probably going to opt out of his deal anyway, given that he didn't get much of a chance to perform here. You know, I agree. I wouldn't have gotten rid of Mike Scott over Ennis if that was the option. Um, more so because Mike Scott plays the four, and we don't really have another four on the bench. You know, maybe Jonah Bolden, but he's still extremely raw. So I think in that sense, you had to keep Mike Scott just for position versatility, where James Ennis plays the position that, you know, three or four other guys on our bench play. Mike Scott's really the only four coming off the bench. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I don't really, I didn't have any sort of attachment to James Ennis. Again, he wasn't, he looked, he was one of those guys where his his offensive game was always a little bit clunky. And I think that maybe the only thing that they'll miss is his aggression on the offensive boards. Um, because I feel like in a previous episode you said that James Ennis was probably the Sixers' best offensive rebounder, and that was certainly saying something. But, I've been saying that since the Toronto series last year. <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, he he. I think he's far and away been the team's most most aggressive rebounder. He might not have the best physical tools to do the job, but as far as effort, nobody went after the glass as hard as he did. Yeah, certainly. Uh, you know, I'm not going to, I'm in very indifferent to him leaving, and I'm okay with them keeping Mike Scott over him. So, 
Uh, with the addition of Alec Burks and Glenn Robinson and uh, James Ennis getting dealt, uh, the Sixers still needed to get rid of one more guy to get to the roster size that they needed to. So Trey Burke uh, was the odd man out uh, getting waived. First to report on that was the Philadelphia Inquirer's Keith Pompey. You know, Trey Burke, one of those guys you sign at the beginning of the season, not really sure what you're going to get. You know, played in in pretty much half as many games as Howell Neto did, um, which surprised many, including myself, even though I'm a Neto guy. I like Neto. I I feel safe when he has the ball. Um, But Trey Burke seemed to offer the Sixers a little bit more of of what they needed in terms of being able to create off the dribble and create movement, um, sort of in a TJ McConnell way, given Burke could shoot the three better than McConnell would, but he would penetrate and kind of move the guys around and create space for everybody else. So, um, you know, in my opinion, it, it once you get Burks and Robinson, it, it seemed like Trey Burke, Trey Burke, uh, his skill set was just a little bit more expendable. Um, but I think, uh, you know, on the whole, I think people ended up caring way too much about the whole Burke Neto scenario. Like, I think we wanted to see more out of both guys. Like, there's there's no doubting that. But the fact that there's, you know, it seems like there's an outcry every time one guy or the other guy gets more playing time than the other one, especially because Neto got the majority of the playing time. But the fact of the matter is, is that the Sixers are 31 and 20 more or less because of like the the inconsistency and lack of offensive cohesion of their starting lineup. You know, if one guy, two guys aren't making shots, then the spacing gets worse than it already is to start the game. Um, so, uh, Jesse, what were your thoughts on, on Trey Burke being the guy getting waived over Howell Neto? I think it's the exact reason you said where Alec Burks gives a similar skill set to Trey Burke. Um, you know, to your point about people kind of making too much about it, I think it was more that we didn't really get to see enough of Trey Burke because he gave us, you know, similar to the ways that a TJ McConnell or even Rashawn Holmes did a few years ago, where they would come off the bench, and even if they didn't give you the best minutes or the most efficient minutes, they picked up the pace of the game. They were obviously trying to be a catalyst and make things happen where you don't really get that out of Neto or even sometimes out of Ben Simmons. Yeah, and our uh, and Jovan Alford, who uh, joined the chat, uh, thanks for for tuning in, Jovan. Um, uh, a very good point here is that uh, you know Trey Burke is one of those guys that probably saw less minutes because Shake Milton uh, has seen some ball handling as well when Ben Simmons has been off the bench or Ben Simmons is in off ball position, and I think that probably played a part too. So Neto's role is a little bit different than both of those. Sorry to interrupt you. You can continue. No, and I mean, I think Shake Milton, we said it last episode, he's probably been the team's most consistent player not named Ben Simmons over the last week or two. Yeah. So, you know, that's been a big factor, and he's worked his way into the starting role with Josh Richardson out. You know, so I think that definitely holds merit. Um, I mean, I wouldn't have gotten rid of Shake Milton at all either. I think it had to be either Burke or Neto. Yeah. And I think Alec Burks being that combo guard, being a guy that can handle the ball and can shoot it and score it, made Trey Burke expendable. Certainly. Um, <clears throat> so the Sixers uh, are, are at the, the roster size that they need to with uh, trading Ennis and, and uh, waiving Trey Burke, but you know there's, there's still things that can happen on the buyout market. 
Um, Norvell Pell still in Delaware. Kylo Quinn is still on the Sixers roster. Does Kylo Quinn get waived? Then Norvell Pell get converted to an NBA contract? You know, unsure at this moment as to what is happening then. I'd be kind of surprised if they ended up waiving Quinn O'Quinn before they checked out what's on the buyout market. And we'll talk about this, the buyout market, uh, shortly. Um, the Last thing I had on the Sixers, or the second to last thing, was Shams of The Athletic reported uh, during his trade deadline special today after the trade deadline passed that Josh Richardson, uh, you know, he's been out for a bit with a, uh, with hamstring injury. He led a players-only meeting on Wednesday to galvanize the team uh, and say that everybody needs to come together, and it starts with Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons, and you wonder if that's kind of uh, an echoed statement of Al Horford's comments that he made to the media and that were overblown, in my opinion, about there being some things going on in the locker room. So I think the biggest glaring thing here is that, um, you know, it's obvious everybody needs to come together, but the fact, like, it seemed like the report made it insinuation that Embiid and Simmons are are not leading as they should be. And, you know, Josh Richardson, who's a, you know, a guy who's grown into one of the the cornerstones of the starting lineup, really, and, and could be with this team for the next couple of years, uh, stands up and, and leads a players-only meeting. He's certainly not the person that I would have predicted to have to do this at the beginning of the year. So um, there's a, a been a lot to say about the Sixers' chemistry or lack thereof on and off the court after the beginning of the season. It looked like things were pretty good. So uh, what do you make of, of this locker room chemistry narrative that has now popped up for the Sixers, Horford's comments, and then Josh Richardson having to lead a uh, players-only meeting? I mean, I didn't like Horford's comments. It felt kind of counterproductive when he announces there's things going on in the locker room and then turns around and says he wants to keep it internal. Yeah. It's kind of like throwing gas on the fire a little bit. Um, and, you know, I wouldn't – I don't like that Josh Richardson has to be the guy to stand up and say something when you're paying Embiid, Harris, Simmons, and Horford all this money. You know, one of them should be the guy, ideally Simmons or Embiid. But still, it should be one of the guys that you've, you know, allocated a lot of your financial resources into should be taking charge of the team, not the guy who's, you know, the fifth option on offense. And, you know, like, that's not the guy that needs to be in the leader of the team. We all, you know, I think we all can agree we want Ben Simmons or Joel Embiid to be the franchise player or the co-franchise players. So it should have been one of them to step up. I mean, I hope whatever Richardson said did help and gets the team on the same page. But he's not the guy it should have been coming from. Yeah, uh, I agree with that. And I guess, you know, we're recording this before the they play the Bucks on the road, and we know how they've been on the road. Um, uh, you know, they did handle the Bucks pretty well on, on Christmas on, on their home court. Uh, but we're really going to see how they come out, and I feel like it's going to say a lot about what's happened over the last two couple of days. You know, not only Horford's comments, but Embiid's comments about, you know, how everybody needs to sacrifice something. You know, I feel like every time that he says that, he it's like a, a passive-aggressive jab at Ben Simmons for, for not really doing his part in spacing the floor for the team, but... At the same time, and we've talked about this so many times before to this point, is, you know, you have a starting lineup with two centers. So the spacing is already screwed up as it is. And, 
you know, now they have a couple of perimeter scorers that they acquired at the deadline that could certainly change the outlook of things, you know, going into the deadline, the team as it was, you know, I was looking first round matchups against the Heat or first round matchups against the Celtics and not feeling overly confident about them being able to to go and be the road team in a playoff series and be able to do this. But I feel a little bit more confident after this move about uh, their outlook moving forward. Um, what about you? Does this do much in terms of swaying you either way as to whether they're going to be better or the same or worse? I mean, I think they'll be able to play closer to the style we've seen the last few seasons that we've had success with. Um, but, you know, I still think the main issue lies with finding a fit for your five best players where Alec Burks and Glenn Robinson, they're going to be nice pieces, but they're not going to be one of the five best. So, you know, you mentioned earlier, they shouldn't be part of the closing lineup. And I agree with that. So you need to figure out a way for that closing lineup or your starting lineup to be effective, at least the majority of the time, if not all the time. And yeah. I think that's the, still the big hurdle for this team. No matter what move they could have made, short of trading out Horford, there's nothing they could have done to really fix that problem. It has to come from inside. Yeah. Um, so moving on from the Sixers, there wasn't a whole lot of movement in the Eastern Conference uh, with teams above the Sixers or even really below uh, unless you count James Ennis going to Orlando, a big move. But, you know, Miami was the most active among teams that the Sixers could face in the playoffs as they acquired Andre Iguodala, Solomon Hill, and Jay Crowder from Memphis in exchange for Justin Winslow, Dion Waiters, and James Johnson. James Johnson was uh, later swapped with Gorgie Dang from the Minnesota Timberwolves. Jesse, I know you're a big fan of, of, of that acquisition for uh, Memphis. But, uh, you know, Miami got themselves a solid shooting veteran in, in uh, Jay Crowder while also managing to dump $28 million in salary for next season. At this point, you don't really know what you're getting with Iguodala since he hasn't played this year. Um, but Crowder can certainly hurt you despite the fact that he's not shooting that great from the floor or beyond the arc. Uh, you know, Solomon Hill is a guy that's a nice bench addition, uh, shooting just over 38.1% from three. Um, in in his role there. So uh, with the Miami roster mostly filled with young guys without playoff experience, I think the addition of Crowder, Iguodala, and Hill could certainly uh, help them go deep in the Eastern bracket. Um, but I am very, very happy that they did not end, end up um, acquiring uh, Gallinari from the Oklahoma City Thunder because then I, I feel like I would be a lot worried, a lot more worried than I am now. Yeah, I think Gallinari would have been a nightmare scenario for not just the Sixers, for the rest of the Eastern Conference. Uh, you know, I like Jay Crowder. I like Solomon Hill. I've always liked Andre Iguodala. But, you know, they don't move the needle as much. I'm surprised they gave so much money to Iguodala for a guy that hasn't played all year and whose health has been declining every year. And as far as I know, was contemplating retirement like a year or two ago. So that's a little interesting. You know, I, it's good for them to get as much money off the books as they did. Um, you mentioned I like Gorgie Dang the Memphis. I mean, I love any teams that play defense and Winslow and Dang with Morant and Jaron Jackson and Dylan Brooks. I think that's going to be a lot of fun to watch. Um, as far as Miami this year, though, I think they've just kind of put themselves as a not maybe not a 1A, 
but they're probably got to be the second favorite pick in the East right now, given that they've been trending well all year. And now they add some nice veteran toughness to that lineup. You know, it does help guys like Duncan Robinson and Tyler Harrow and help them kind of not have to take on as much of the load as they have been this year. So if all the pieces fit for Miami, it can be a lot of trouble, but it also still feels like they have a lot of guys that play the same positions. So, you know, there'll be a bit of an adjustment period there as far as reworking the rotation and figuring out what lineup is best for them. Right. Yeah. And and they're 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 a team that's go could potentially be dangerous in the playoffs. You know, with all these young guys, you're not really sure what you're going to get in the playoffs because it's a little bit of a different atmosphere. Um, so we'll have to go ahead and see how Miami matches up against other teams in the East. Although right now, if they keep playing the way that they're playing, it seems more most likely that they'll end up facing uh, Orlando or another team at the bottom of the um, at the bottom of the uh, playoff standings in the Eastern Conference. So uh, moving on to some other big moves from around the NBA, and despite there not being you know a whole lot of moves, the ones that were happening were kind of big and, and unexpected. And, you know, we saw earlier in the week that Robert Covington got dealt to Houston. Clint Capella was dealt to the Hawks um, in, in part of a three-team deal uh, that was eventually hoping that Minnesota would, would get uh, D'Angelo Russell. And at the time, it did not look like that was going to happen. But uh, little did we know... Uh, Woj dropped a bomb on us on Thursday afternoon that D'Angelo Russell was indeed dealt to Minnesota for Andrew Wiggins and picks. So D'Angelo Russell and Carl Anthony Towns have a lot of history together. Uh, Good friends. Uh, It'll be an interesting uh, scene to see Minnesota kind of adjust to their new roster after making significant changes you know, they, they made changes last year after they got rid of Butler and got Sharich, Covington, and Bayless from the Sixers. So they're a team that's just experiencing a lot of turnover now. And Carl uh, Anthony Towns has experienced losing for a long time. And I guess they're hoping that D'Angelo Russell um, coming to Minnesota for Andrew Wiggins, who just hasn't really reached his potential since the draft, uh, then goes to Golden State in what should be a much better environment for him next season. So what were your thoughts on this deal? Were you surprised at all that that it happened after the Covington to the Rockets deal went down earlier in the week? Yeah, I mean, I think I saw a few days ago that that deal was like dead in the water and that Minnesota wasn't meeting Golden State's requirements, which from what I had read, like Minnesota had Wiggins in the deal the whole time. So I feel like Golden State either just folded or they just decided they didn't want to keep Russell anymore. I don't know why they decided to make the move. Um, you know, you put Russell with Cat, who those two are like best friends. You know, those two and Devin Booker are like a known trio that like to hang out a lot and do a lot of their offseason together. I think Wiggins is a very good fit for Golden State, like you said. My thing with Minnesota is I'm not sure they really pick up any wins here because I don't know who's playing defense there, especially after they get rid of Gorgie Dang and send him to Memphis. And Covington. And Covington. I mean, there's no one left there that's actually going to play any defense. I mean, Akogi's a nice athlete. Yeah, but Towns he, plays more offense than he does defense. Towns is the ideal situation of what Jaleel Okafor could have been. I mean, 
just being honest, a guy that can score a lot but not do anything to help you on the other end. Get a nice block once in a while, but as soon as someone puts their shoulder into him, he's cooked. So, you know, in that sense, I don't think Minnesota is going to be seeing the playoffs anytime soon. Yeah. Uh, I, I agree with you on that one. The the surprising like what surprised me the most from the trade deadline had to be the Andre Drummond trade. And leading up to this, it looked like Detroit was gonna stand pat and keep Derek Rose that they did and and Andre Drummond. You know, Drummond has a twenty seven plus million dollar player option next year. So it looks like Detroit just wanted to avoid having to pay him that salary because obviously, you know, the pairing with him and Blake Griffin hasn't really worked well. Griffin's hurt and and you know, Drummond is just clearly not a center that you can build a team around, really. Uh I don't think that it was a guy that they were ever gonna build a team around necessarily, but you know he's he's one of the best rebounders in the NBA, but aside from that, he doesn't really offer a whole lot defensively. And and we've seen how many times that Joel Embiid has dominated that matchup. And um, now he goes to Cleveland for a return of Brandon Knight, John Henson, and a second round pick. Now I know this is you know it, it's more than likely that Drummond is going to opt into his contract and probably maybe sign an extension in Cleveland. You don't know what. Kevin Love's future is in Cleveland after this trade, um, but it was it was pretty shocking to see a, a guy of Andre Drummond's caliber get traded for next to nothing. Yeah, and especially to Cleveland, who I can't see him really exercising his deal to stay there either. I don't know, twenty seven million is a lot to not like. I feel like he's not going to get that on the open market. Do you? What other bigs are going to be on the market? It's a good question. You know, he, I mean, he really might be the only option. And, you know, for a team like, say, a, a Lakers, they could make a lot of sense for him just because, you know, having a guy to stay under the basket and let AD really play as a stretch player, you know, that might appeal to them. Or, you know, even a, uh, a Portland can make a lot of sense for Drummond. There's a few good landing spots for him. You know, even even though I agree with you, I think he's a little overrated. I do think he's going to go down as one of the top three rebounders, if not the best rebounder in the history of the game. There's already stats to support that. Um, but as far as his offensive game and his defensive game, like it just leaves a lot to be desired. Once in a while, he goes off for like a 30 and 20 night, and then he just kind of disappears for a while after that. So, you know, it's I understand Detroit not wanting to pay him, kind of being done with him. I think they're, I guess they're building around Blake Griffin now. Um, which sucks for Blake Griffin to, yeah. you know. See, it seems about like five, seven years too late for that. Not even then. It's like three or four years ago, Blake Griffin was in a very different place, you know, and I, I think Blake Griffin's still a good player, and I think his game's developed a lot. Yeah. But, you know, he has nothing to work with out in Detroit now. That's a team that's not building very well. Shout out Ed Stefanski. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. you know, that's where – it's just yeah it was the weirdest trade that anyone could have made no one expected i mean people thought thompson might go and people were like certain tristan thompson would have to go the other way to make the money work and it's like even he didn't move like overall it's just head scratching yeah and uh drummond took to twitter to voice his displeasure about the team that he's been playing for his entire career 
you know, these guys are multi-million dollar athletes, but, you know, I feel like it's kind of shitty, uh, you know, if you're with the team for so long to be caught off guard by just saying, okay, you're going to Cleveland. Given it's Cleveland, so it's probably worse than it could have been in any other scenario, but uh, certainly not good for him. And uh, we'll see how he reinvents himself or just goes to Cleveland and how he pairs with uh, Kevin Love. So, you know, uh, we're going to move along to the buyout market in a second, but I know we mentioned uh, the Covington to the Rockets deal. Uh, my favorite part of that deal, just because I live in Atlanta and work with the Hawks part-time, is Clint Capella going to the Hawks, and the Hawks all also acquiring uh, Dwayne Dedman from the uh, from the Kings. So I feel like their offense, you know, they're not going to make a whole lot of noise this year, really. Um, but I feel like the... Trey Young, Clint Capella pairing is going to be really, really good for them um, this year and and moving forward. I think it just fits their their style of play. And it frees up John Collins to get more involved. I think too. He was kind of stuck, you know. Even though he's a four by nature, he had to play a lot of the five with Trey to make that offense work. And now I think you can let John Collins do some different things in the offense and free him up, you know. And if it uh. You know, I still like Kevin Herter. Like, there's a lot of nice young pieces in Atlanta. And we saw at the beginning of the year how they started this season that there's a lot of potential on that team. So I think, you know, Capella to them is definitely going to be fun going forward. Yes. So um, for the for the buyout market stuff of things, you know, while I was finishing stuff up at work, uh, you compiled a, a list of buyout guys. Um, so uh, why don't you go ahead and kind of take the reins with that one since uh, I haven't really had a whole lot of time to, to look at it. Yeah. So these are all speculation. These are names that are suspected that, you know, could find their way to the market. Some is stronger than others. Um, the first name I saw was Reggie Jackson with the Pistons. Apparently his agent or a writer came out and said that it would be premature to say he's getting bought out, but he's going to be a name to watch because I think a lot of teams would like to add him, you know, an energy ball handler off the bench. He can flash once in a while. I don't personally love his game. I think he, you know, takes too many chances and doesn't really, you know, he's kind of like you live and die by the sword with him. I'm not the biggest fan of his game. Evan Turner, his name's being mentioned after being traded from Portland to Minnesota. Um, There's already said to be interest from Boston and Miami in him. So, even if the Sixers wanted him back, which I don't with the way he's acted over the years, you know, I think he's a horrible character player, but, and you know, there are teams already looking to add him a big bodied lengthy guy that can handle the ball guy that can play off ball. He brings a lot to a team, good bench piece. Marvin Williams is a name I'd actually be interested in. Um, a guy that can hit the three at a good clip playing in Charlotte right now. Charlotte really has no reason to keep him. So I think he's likely to get bought out. Matthew Della Vadova was a name I saw. Again, Cleveland not doing anything this year. They're committed to Colin Sexton going forward. So Della Vadova could find his way out there. And even though he's shooting really poorly this year, he does bring a lot of energy off of the bench. He's, you know, a gritty player, a tough player. So in that sense, you kind of get a bit of an energy boost. We've seen what that can do for the Sixers personally with guys like TJ. Um, Langston Galloway with Detroit, he's shooting 40.5% from three on five attempts a game this year. He can handle the ball. He can play off the ball. He's also a St. Joe's alum, which is just a nice little added incentive. And then I have Alan Crabb on here. He's another one. He's playing in Minnesota right now. Another one of those guys that's been getting moved around. Yeah. 
feel like he's oft injured, oft injured. Yeah, definitely. And uh, he's shooting 38.3% from three over his career, but he's down to 30.8% this year. So, you know, again, another guy underperforming might might get caught on the chopping block as a result of that or just whatever money he's making this year. But he could be a nice, you know, a nice player to take a flyer on given his previous success and given what the Sixers want to do on offense, a guy just to stand there and catch and shoot. Alan Crabb might fit that. And the last name I put was more just, you know, me thinking, not really a name I saw being rumored, was Marco Bellinelli with the Spurs. Um, you know, I don't think he's the same player he was two years ago, but I do know he's been kind of underperforming for San Antonio, and I don't think he fits as well as they thought he would fit there. So if San Antonio finds themselves, you know, tightening up the rotation down the stretch to get a playoff spot, he might want out of there. And if he does, he has history here, so that could yeah. make sense. My buddy Tony uh, commenting, get him out of here. He's ready to, to get him off the Spurs. He's a big Spurs fan. Uh, I mean, I think if he were, you know, to, able to be had on on a very cheap deal in the buyout market, I might consider it. But there are certainly plenty of guys that I would prefer above him because we've seen in uh, the playoffs when he was here, you know, they're going to attack him on the defensive end, and I feel like you have to see, yeah, you might have to see how Burks and Robinson do first before you add a Bellinelli, because I almost feel like that's too many things to juggle, especially because Cork Maz is probably giving you what Bellinelli would, um, and I feel like Cork Maz more or less has has had a little bit of improvement on defense, given he doesn't have as much of a reputation as as Bellinelli does in the league. But I think that um, at this point, I'd rather ride it out with Furcon. Uh, one other guy uh, that I saw on Twitter while you were chatting was uh, Dion Waiters will uh, will not be uh, held on to uh, after he was traded. So he's another guy, Philadelphia native, I believe, that maybe could be of interest. Uh, I wouldn't be against Dion Waiters. It's just I think about his play style, and he is definitely like a shooter-shoot mentality where – doesn't matter what plays being run, what the situation of the game is. If the ball gets in his hands, he's taking a shot. Right. And that can be good sometimes, and that can be very, very bad other times. So yeah. I would take that into account before adding him. Yep. Um, so looking ahead, uh, after the Sixers play the Bucks, they have five of the next, next six games at home, six of the next nine at home uh, before another West Coast trip. Um, after playing the Bucks on Thursday, again, we're recording this before the Bucks game. Uh, they also play the Bucks two weeks from Saturday on February 22nd in Milwaukee. They um, be, have three games after the Bucks game before the All-Star break. They play Memphis on Friday the 7th as the back end of a back-to-back. Um, uh, we just had our first... Uh, Garbage into gold fan from Glasgow, Scotland, 1995 Scotsman. Thank you for joining us in the Periscope and Twitter chat room. Happy to have you. Um, So after Memphis, the Sixers host Chicago on Sunday the 9th before hosting the Clippers on the 11th. Um, And then they are off until the 20th with the All-Star break. Unfortunately, Furkan Korkmaz did not get an invite for the three-point contest, and I feel like you and I are both equally disappointed about that. It would have been fun to watch. You know, it would have been a crash and burn, or it would have been like a Cinderella story. Yeah. So uh, we do appreciate everybody tuning in here on on Twitter and Periscope. 
uh, have really enjoyed uh, doing the video interactive version of this podcast, and we will continue to do that. Um, we are available on all of your favorite podcast platforms to Apple, Spotify, iHeartRadio, uh, Stitcher, Anchor.fm, and uh, make sure you're following us on Twitter at Garbage Into Gold. Make sure you're following our podcast parent site, uh, Philadelphia Sports Nation. They are enhancing your Philadelphia sports fan experience. You can visit them online at phlsportsnation.com. They have great content on the Sixers, Flyers, Eagles, and Phillies. Uh, and you can follow the Sixers branch of that site on Twitter at PHL Sixers Nation. So again, uh, everybody, thanks for tuning in. For Jesse Larch, I am Brandon Apter, and we'll catch you next time on another episode of Garbage Into Gold.